0: I took lizards from my cousin's house in this part of town, and I released them in another part of town, and they're all over the place now.
1: You are
2: listening
3: to Urban Wildlife
2: Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. This is your co-hosts, Billy Brown and Tony Crosdale. And today, we are going to be uh, talking about wall lizards. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to do our standard reminders. Uh, if you do like this podcast, please go on to your iTunes, Podcasting format of choice. Your podcasting format of so I was thinking, what the hell is that called that Apple does iTunes? iTunes or Stitcher or your podcasting app of choice. Um, and please rate this highly. Leave some comments. And then tell all your friends about it. Tell them on Facebook. Tell them verbally when you see them in the flesh. Um, email them about it. Snap them at, at them or snap at them. Put it on Instagram. Any way you want to tell the people about how, how much you love this podcast, tell them because it helps spread the word and so more people can listen to us and, and be better connected with their urban wildlife. Uh, and
3: write us, tweet us, communicate with us. Any way you want to <laughs> smoke signals. <laughs>
2: Uh, UrbanWildlifeCast at Urb Wildlife UrbWildlifeCast is our Twitter handle. Um, you can find us on Facebook. It was funny, I was saying to Tony, I have Any Way You Want It in my head. And I was trying to combine that with how to get in touch with us. Mm. Um, but maybe not tonight. We have more musical pleasure to bring to you pretty soon. Yes, we do. we finally bringing it to you another song. So hopefully you enjoy it. Yes. Um, so today's topic is wall lizards. We've talked about them before um, a few episodes ago, and I'll post a link. Uh, we talked about wall lizards in their native Netherlands, where they're at the northern extent of their native range in Maastricht, and sort of the efforts of the conservationists there and scientists there to sort of conserve them, preserve their their population. And what was funny about it, when you're thinking of something whose natural habitat is walls. Natural habitat!
3: One of my favorite things ever is, is in the um, Master of Puppets, when James Hetfield <laughs> is like, Was it worth all that? Natural habitat! And I have a few friends that know Metallica from playing together with them, touring with them. And my dream is someday they'll get David to come up and just say... Natural
2: habitat, right? Wall lizards' natural habitat is walls. Okay, so the and that makes for some interesting ideas. Is it, walls? it is, you know, and are they, are they we're going to hear synanthropic organisms. We 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 going to hear Russ Burke talk about this. Um, that in the wild in Europe, you know, you'd see them in forests with sandy soil. They also probably live. We heard about this in the earlier episode about them in outcroppings and sort of. The faces and that kind of thing, so that's probably like their very original natural habitat. But for several th- thousand years, certainly in southern Europe, people have been building houses out of stone, and so those are habits, great habitat for them. So they're you know I, I, it's one of these interesting questions of something like a you know like a house sparrow or something like that that even in like in Europe where they've probably evolved somewhat to live with people. Um, I wonder the same thing about wallards, or maybe, maybe not quite so specialized, who knows. Um, but in the United States, we have populations of a couple species of wallards. I actually have my, my guidebook, my Bible, Conant, Conant reptiles and amphibians of Eastern and Central North America, where, as we'll talk about in the Russ Burke interview, that there used to be a population of them, of the Italian wall lizard in Philadelphia that seems to have gone extinct. I and many other people have looked for them, and they're not there anymore, apparently. But they, they have populations of the Italian wall lizard in Long Island, which is what we hear about a lot. Also in urban Topeka, Kansas. Who knew? Uh, and then the common wall lizard, a closely related species, same genus, um, is quite common around Cincinnati. Uh, And so first off, we're going to hear Russ Burke, who we heard last episode talking about diamondback terrapins, or actually two episodes ago, because we're going to put in the Cat Wars one before this. Um, But two episodes ago, we heard Russ Burke talking about diamondback terrapins that he researches and works on conservation advocacy for around Jamaica Bay and in Queens and New York City. He also, and this is how I found him the very first time many years ago, when I was looking into this question of the Philadelphia wall lizards, and he seemed to be like the expert about wall lizards in the east, you know, the northeast, and he is. And so he has researched extensively the ones that are in the New York area. Um, So let's listen to Russ Burke talk about wall lizards.
1: My name is Russell Burke, and I'm a professor of biology at Hofstra University.
4: Could you describe to people what a wall lizard is?
1: Yeah, wall lizards... You know, the common name is applied to um, a couple different species of of lizards from from Europe, Uh, genus Podarchus, the uh, two most commonly, um, two most common species that are referred to as wall lizards are Podarchus moralis and Podarchus siculus. Um, And uh, these are sister species that live in Italy and moralis also lives in other places in in, uh, southern Europe, uh, west of Spain. And they've both been introduced to uh, a variety of places uh, elsewhere in Europe and also in, um, in the United States. They're small, you know, relatively small insectivorous lizards. They're fast, they're, um, they're diurnal. Um, they can occur in high densities in urban areas. Um, I've seen them in Rome on, um, you know, on old, uh, on old ruins, you know, I, I saw them in the Colosseum, for example. Uh, so, um, they've, uh, they've been living in urban areas with humans for probably a couple thousand years. Okay. Um, and uh,
4: how, or talk a little bit about how they got to the New York area.
1: Well, New York, the, uh, New York introduction, like the other introductions, like most of the other introductions, um, are a little, it's a little bit fuzzy, um, uh, exactly how we got, they got here. And I say that because, not because we don't know a story, but because we know several stories. Um, so it, and it's really probably we'll never know which one is is true if any of them are true but the the standard stories uh are something like that uh a, a shipment of pet trade animals uh somehow uh were released or got loose either from an individual or from a pet shop um, in um, in the town of Hempstead um, which is just a couple miles west of where I am right now and uh you know this is a suburban area and uh where they got loose and uh, so it's quite similar to the places they came from very likely and um they they survived and and spread so probably less than 20 animals to begin with but now certainly in the in the many 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 thousands
4: what's their range in in um i guess in the around the new york area at this point
1: well, it's spotty um because they're spread both by their own dispersal, you know them' them invading new areas on the on the border of current ra- range and also because people move them either accidentally or on purpose. but certainly we know they go all the way out the east end of Long Island to the you know into the Hamptons, and um, they're also in uh, Queens, so that's the full east west length of Long Island. They're on the North Shore and on the South Shore, so that's the you, know, the, you know, if you connect up all the dots, they pretty much have all of Long Island, uh, with some big gaps. Um, I have no information suggesting that they're in the, um, the really uh, uh, rural areas, to the extent that Long Island has rural areas, but no information that they're in the, in the, in the more natural areas in, in uh, eastern central Long Island, like the Pine Barrens. And then they're also found in New York City in a number of places. Uh, almost certainly, those are human-deliberate human introductions, but they are spreading west through the city and and um, and north uh, through the city. So, um, you know, a number of places in in Queens and in um, uh, they're on Staten Island, they're in um, they're in Manhattan, uh, and there's um, I've been getting reports of them in Westchester County, that is north of New York City.
4: How do people generally receive them? I mean, are people happy to see lizards? Are they weirded out?
1: a full range of, of responses, as you might expect. Um, I get a lot of calls, especially in the fall, calls and emails from people who are freaked out, totally freaked out because there are lizards coming into their house. And um, that's there's a very common fall phenomena where the lizards go into buildings because they're I assume they're looking for places to overwinter and they're looking for safe places to overwinter. And um, so people freak out about that. Um, here in the building, the, the biology building where I work, um, we get two or three a week this time of year. Uh, people find them and, uh, uh, in the hallways and come to me and say, you know there's your lizards and, and you know we just <laughs> try and let them loose. Um, other people I know have contacted me when they, you know, and said, um, you know they've been living outside my house for years. I love them, I watch them all the time i I enjoy watching them behave you know they're like watching birds at a bird feeder. you know you you get this, you get to know individuals, um, you get to uh, watch them interact with each other. It's just you know they enjoy it.
4: Uh, you know, so, so from our, your discussion and also what what else I have learned about them, they don't seem to be – they seem to be confining themselves to um, developed areas. Yeah. Uh, Do they cause – are they causing any harm?
1: Well, to address the first point, um, you know, I've spent some time with them in Italy. And in Italy, they certainly inhabit much more uh, areas like we would call more like natural, in that not only do they live in urban areas, but they also live in heavily forested areas, with, especially with sandy soils, especially pine forests. Um, and here we have not seen that yet. At least I haven't seen that yet. But here I have seen them living um, on the beach. Um, and I've seen them eating copepods in the, uh, on the beach uh, the ocean beach, you know, as, as the waves move in and out, you know, chasing after the copepods that are hopping around on the beach sand. So that's a that's a pretty natural environment, and so um, I don't think they're restricted to uh, to built up environments really at all. But they haven't exploited all the the, the uh, natural environments that they that they probably eventually will. Um, okay. So we do definitely, but they do occur in the highest densities uh, that I've seen so far. They occur in the highest densities in urban areas.
4: Okay, so is it? I mean, so, so you mentioned people introducing them intentionally. Um, is I guess then should we say that that's a bad thing to do, or or sort of a neutral or a good thing huh. to do?
1: Yeah, that's right. I didn't address your other question about them being negative. Um, as far as I can see they're neutral. Um and they okay. may in some ways be beneficial. It's hard to say. Um there are certainly gardeners who like them because they think that the lizards might eat enough insects to make a difference in their gardens and that may be true, I don't know. Um the um uh you know certainly people get some enjoyment out of them. Some people do and so oh, I would call that a positive and and as somebody who grew up in a part of the United States without lizards Um, you know, and was introduced to lizards when I headed south. Um, I could say that if I was a kid growing up in in this area, I would certainly count having lizards around as a a positive. You know, it's something cool to see and and collect and, and, uh, you know, kind of an introduction to the natural world. They don't seem to be harming any species that we really would be concerned about. Uh, Most of what they eat or a lot of what they eat are non-native invertebrates. So, um, you know, one, in, one non-native eating another non-native, it's hard to see a, a downside there. Um, <laughs> they, um, they are preyed upon um, by, um, by kestrels, uh, even kestrels that live in the city. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot of people like kestrels, so if, if lizards uh, help keep those guys going in the city, that's kind of cool. Um, and they're probably preyed on by other birds and uh, probably also by cats, um, you know, and, and you know, so there's some of that going on.
4: Um, so to I don't want to get too far into the Philadelphia one, but I know that there had been a population. Well, it's hard to say conclusively that something is gone, but right. as far as anyone can tell, um, the the Philadelphia population of wall lizards is not there anymore. Um, and uh, you know, so so I if, I I guess what I'm trying to let me formulate the question better. I guess you know, that was a population that was sort of thought of as a population, then it was gone. Um, When you're looking at populations of introduced animals, at what point do you – I know this is a discussion that's come up with in the birding community with ABA lists and what they count as legitimately on the list. Like, at what point do you count an introduced um, population as established um, versus possibly ephemeral?
1: Yeah, like you said, it's it's really a judgment call and and you know, there's no hard and fast rules and even if you made hard and fast rules, it'd be hard to collect the data to uh to address them. Um but uh you know, I think when when they reach the numbers uh that uh it seems very unlikely that they're going to uh you know, disappear without an enormous effort on somebody's part. I would say that they're established. And uh you know, when people call me to tell me they're in their that the lizards are in their house and what can they do, you know they want to. Sometimes they want to kill them all, and um, and sometimes people do make big efforts to eliminate all the you know the wall lizards in the around their their houses. Um, but the next year they're all back. You know I mean you know the number the the the, the, the area is repopulated. So um, I would say that they're long past any possibility of people eliminating them. And uh, that's, that's certainly established. Um, the Philadelphia population seems to never have really spread very far, and maybe it never grew to very large numbers, and uh, that made it vulnerable to being wiped out.
3: Exotic. Invasive.
2: So I, I want to point out here also, I, I did a little pilgrimage once to Bronx Botanical Gardens, where there was an easy-to-spot um, for an easy to spot population to see the urban wall lizards myself because I couldn't find any in Philadelphia because they're gone. Um, and so I had a nice trip there. And Maybe I'll post some pictures. I don't think, if I, I, don't, I might not even have digital pictures from that because it's all film, but I'll try to find some pictures of that trip. And one of the things I thought was neat about this, and we'll hear it also in the Cincinnati one we're going to hear about in a minute, is how much they get transported by intentional release, that people see the lizards like, damn, those are cool lizards. Like, they grab a few of them. It's probably, like, all, like, 10-year-old boys and girls. But, like, they grab a few of them, throw them in a, in a, in a box or in a bucket. A bucket Name them Billy. Name them Billy. <laughs> Let them go in the back their own backyard, like, 10 miles down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got another little population growing out from there. That's
3: an interesting kind of,
2: like, dispersal.
3: Like, coolness. Cool factor dispersal.
2: Well, it makes me think of birds that way. You know, like, yeah. that people disperse, like, as pet birds like how animals in the pet trade get dispersed from a whole bunch of little discrete releases. Um, although birds, you know, they can fly lizards. You know, they, they can't really cross roads on their, well, they sometimes cross roads on their own. It's harder. Um, and they can't cover the same kind of distances. It's also, I think this is a fun thing where if they're not getting, although Russell Burke said the, you know, maybe they're on beaches, maybe they, they, he leaves open the possibility they could get out into the wilds, let's say. But that they are sort of—they seem to be doing really well now in cities, in sort of. So they're very much a novel ecosystem kind of animal. Here's a researcher from Cincinnati talking about the Cincinnati population of wall lizards, which I recently rediscovered on one of my own herping trips to Cincinnati uh, a couple years ago. So just like that, I flipped under some limestone slabs on this hillside—a redback salamander, and weirdly, although not so weirdly given where I am, that I think about it. Uh, a little, I think it's a, a little wall lizard. You gotta look up what kind. But this is a, a European species that I kinda knew was, thought was established in Cincinnati. You'd heard about it. Just, uh, you know, look at it like, what the hell is that? That's what it is. Alright, so I just saw a juvenile, whatever kind of lizard that was. Dark little guy without the, uh, blue spots. Um, Keep my eyes open and see if I see any more scampering around. What is, uh, right now I'm on a uh, a graveled old sort of overpass railroad bed kind of thing. Um, Who knows? Maybe there'll be more. It's like, looks like rocky habitat as opposed to uh, anything else. All right, here's some more lizards. Can't find Kirtland snakes.
0: My name is uh, Ken Petron. I'm a biologist at the University of Cincinnati, um, professor of biology, and currently serving as dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, The species name is Podarchus muralis, came to Cincinnati through a translocation event by someone named George Rau, R-A-U, he's part of the Lazarus family in Cincinnati. He was vacationing in uh, Lago Garda area of Italy, put 10 lizards in a sock, brought them back and released <laughs> them <laughs> Released them around his house uh, right off of Terrence Court uh, here in Cincinnati. So we know, and I'm in touch with George Rao, uh, we know exactly where they came from, exactly where they were released, and exactly how many and with an exact date, which is phenomenal for an in, introduced species. <laughs> Yeah, these are the common European wall lizards and, uh, you know, or this one is called the Italian wall lizard and, and it's, um, you know, they're very common around areas, again, south facing slopes with large stones or rocks or stone structures, very common around gardens. I was just in France last week and I saw about 10 of them in a single crack in a wall that was probably just the perfect communal Um, you know a place where they use as a retreat in the winter Uh, these guys are interesting is in that they're pretty active all winter long so on a warm day you will see them poking their heads out to catch a little sun which is very unusual for a lizard in you know February Um, and it's the the air temperature we've seen them below freezing the air temperature below freezing but the rocks are catching the sun, so they're a little hotter. We've seen lizards out with snow on the ground, bas- basking in the sun. So that's definitely something to look for, Uh and that happens pretty commonly. And it raises a lot of questions about why. Why are they doing that? And they must be eating something. Maybe they're eating slugs or worms below ground. And we- we've seen them eat slugs and worms, but um, – You know, it's still a little bit of an open question why they would be active in the winter. I had a student interested and we know they've been spreading. Uh, there was a previous professor who was doing some reproductive biology and density studies on them. So we started to get interested in doing some genetic work and this is what I do a lot of in my lab on invasive species, uh, and Darwin's finches and mostly lizards and birds. So we undertook a study and we were interviewed by the local paper. And as part of the interview, I said, hey, you know what, let's create a quick little website where people can go in and report sightings. And we will include that as part of the article. And they did. In the first day, we got 300 reports of sightings of lizards. And the thing is, in Cincinnati, you do not see many other lizards. There's an occasional skink you'll see, but skinks are hard to see. If people, common people are seeing a lizard, it's almost certainly this lizard. Uh, and we got over 300 reports. Another article came out. We got another 300 and over time we still get more and more reports. So we've had more than a thousand reports that have completely changed our perception of where these lizards have spread. And they're basically all over the Cincinnati region, but in little pockets where one person and not only that, but we have the, Anecdotes about how they got to certain areas. Fifteen people wrote in and said, "I took lizards from my cousin's house in this part of town, and I released them in another
4: part of town, and they're all over the place now." <laughs> so, so, so why are to... people doing that? I mean, like, because I, I think of all the other animals people could see. Um, i mean i don't i 've never heard so of anyone catching a bunch of redbacks backed me do I really, do I yard, really you know? have
0: to explain do I really have to explain why to someone who 's a herp met, why <laughs> no <laughs> why but i 'm asking you to that? explain to
4: people who who have no yeah. idea what the heck yeah. we 're talking about I think they 're cool they 're attractive like personable little animals but
0: and 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 not everyone thinks of doing that and moving them, but you know we 're talking that we got maybe a thousand reports and maybe something like 20 anecdotes of movement, you know, 20 out of a thousand, maybe that's exactly the ratio of the population that is inclined. uh, 20 out of a thousand uh, uh, people are inclined to actually catch a lizard and move it somewhere. Um, I I, of course caught lizards as a kid and I'm not sure if I moved them anywhere, but um, if I was visiting a cousin, you know, clearly, you know, enough have done that. To have a, a real interesting impact on their on their their spread in in
4: do you see them translocating or, or or expanding by I don't know I guess more natural means
0: we're we're, we're sure they are on a kind of a a, a house to house neighborhood to neighborhood kind of level. Um, I don't think they've uh, they are getting places on their own. they are doing well in uh where they're south facing slopes along those slopes and down those slopes and up those slopes they they disperse pretty pretty freely or so it seems it's it's hard to retrace everything um, you know regarding their spread, but genetically we're able to retrace a lot of their spread we've surveyed seventeen populations and they show a very strong signature of sequential uh, bottlenecks so uh, a lot of their spread is probably through one or a few individuals that are either carried or by luck make it to the next place where they can thrive Um, and then when they get to that place if it's a good place they occur at very high densities but uh, in between there's a lot of you know places where they don't do well Uh, so we think that's part of its natural part of its human human-facilitated movement. How are they fitting into the local ecosystems? I had students that were interested in looking at their interactions, perhaps with some of the native skinks, um, and we have seen them on occasion side by side. That it's complicated because the skinks are naturally in decline, especially with urbanization, um, and the skinks occur or, or are holding out in pockets that are particularly good areas, but we haven't had enough of a of an idea. We haven't had enough cases surface where we can see them interacting in close proximity to really be able to study that. Uh, other than the skinks, we know some of the birds eat them and some of the cats eat them. Um, I'm pretty sure the garter snakes that are all over the place ignore them and they cohabitate with them. But some of the other snakes, uh it's a question of whether some of the more, you know, higher predatory snakes are potentially tuning in on them or not. And, again, that's a hard thing to study because um, those events are pretty rare.
4: No, you should have to have a that's, reach an
0: open question. Throw up a, a lizard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh Or you'd have to, like, I don't know, you'd, you'd take a lot of careful observation. But anecdotally, like in my yard this year, we had a ton of lizards, and um, somebody who helps us with lawn care noticed um, a lot of snakes, including what was probably a big, you know, black rat snake or something. Uh, and then I, all of a sudden, all the lizards were gone. <laughs> so
4: I don't, they're, they're,
0: there's an anecdote for you. Uh, well, have to, to know, but it's,
4: it's is, that, is that awfully coincidental that there are lizards in your backyard? <laughs>
0: it it is, it is. Uh, <laughs> they were there when
4: we moved in, so. Okay.
0: Um, But it could have affected our housing choice of which which houses ours has a (laughs) south-facing slope. So that could have affected our choice to buy that
4: house, (laughs) definitely. There you go. Um, So how should I submit my observation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, just go to our
0: website, and you probably found it if you Google Cincinnati Lizards um uh, let us know if you've seen them uh and uh, I tell you this has been it's a great little citizen science experiment where we're writing this stuff up and me being dean it goes a little slower than I'd like but um we have found out about the spread of this lizard and it would have net we could have never done it without the help of all the eyes of the public and it's a great Sweet. case study of of how humans just making casual observations We know that they're 95% correct because we've gone and visited a whole, like hundreds of sites. 95% of the time, we find the lizards there. So it's a great case story of um, citizen science.
3: Ow! Citizen science!
2: One of the things I thought was neat about this is, you know, Russell had talked about how it's hard to know with a lot of introductions exactly how they got there. This is a fun case where they were able to interview the guy who brought them. And because he was a kid at the time, where they vacationed, when he released them, how many he released, where they released them. So it, it makes the genetic study, I guess, of this is pretty interesting. And it sort of makes the, the history of it easier to, to document and to pin down because you're not just guessing that maybe it fell off the back of a truck behind a pet store somewhere in, in Hempstead, That's New York. really you're saying,
3: culturally insensitive that you're... Talking about Italian wall lizards, and then you yeah, have the same. Fell off the back of a truck. Of a
2: truck. <laughs> I'm not saying that they were sold by anyone. I said that the that the the box fell off the back of a truck and broke open. Out ran the wall lizards. Not that they were being hawked on a corner somewhere, but that the the, the discreet introduction um, makes it interesting to study. And then when I t- we talked about like the the guy who released in the, the beginning, he was part of a family that owned the Lazarus department stores which if you're not from the midwest you don't care at all about this but this was like the nice department store in Columbus, Ohio where I grew up and none other than Tony Crosdale was able to work that into the song that you're about to listen to and tell us about the song tony
3: well i just want i mean you you it speaks for itself but i just want to there give credit to Matt Halley as playing
2: the keyboard and uh, i think we
3: need to uh also, give a writing credit to the Gallagher brothers. <laughs> <laughs>
2: for this. Yeah, no name, Gallagher. We have to give I'm not credit. much of an Oasis fan, so I rarely give them credit for anything. Um, but for this, I will. Leonard Cohen for, for stylistic inspiration. You said earlier, like when you were describing this, was Leonard Cohen meets um, Oasis. That's the kind of what we're going for. All right. Or they can decipher themselves.
3: Dig it. walls you need you are not finding and your technicolor scales are blinding there are many things that I would like to do for you but I don't know how you know baby Lazarus is now Macy's And through it all You're my
2: wall Lizard We'll wrap up now after this fun little wall lizard episode. Again, if you want to get in touch with us urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com Find us on Twitter at herbwildlifecast Please go to your podcasting platform of choice and rate us. Rate us highly. Tell your friends about it. And uh, please keep an eye out because I think in a few more weeks we'll have another episode on the Urban Wildlife Podcast.
3: You know we will. Enjoy yourselves. Right on. Real quick. Real quick. I was just going to talk about when I had a girlfriend who was from Cincinnati. Yeah. And at one point he ended up dying, but her dad was very sick, and we thought maybe there might be an area where we have to, like, relocate there and, like, take care of him for a while. Yeah. And if not, definitely. And I said my business plan was I was going to open a topless, like a, like, a strip club. Yeah. And named <laughs> Sin Sin Naughty. And I was going to start a house band to play that club called Who Day and the Blowfish. <laughs> Because you don't know, get it, like
2: that's a deep Cincinnati reference right there. Yeah, because the who they
3: think gonna beat them Bengals
2: is the cr- rallying cry for the Cincinnati Bengals.